AMD launches something new, Broadcom is benching some of its BUs, Elastic Acquisitions, OMG UEFI, and a closer look at simplifying licensing for VMware customers on this episode of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Hi everyone, my name is Tom Hollingsworth and I'm here on site, on premises if you will, for this episode of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Joining me is my amazing co-host, my esteemed co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, how are you on this National Violin Day? World's smallest violin? No, I, honestly, I'm good. Um, today's an auspicious day, um, as everyone will soon, soon learn, um, and, and it's awesome. I would like to point out, however, Tom, I have to point out that today is not only National Cocoa Day, but it's also, more importantly, Taylor Swift Yes, that's right. President Taylor Swift's birthday, future president Taylor Swift's birthday. Well, I'm glad that everyone under the age of 30 could join us on this special national holiday for all of these amazing rundown stories because we have quite the lineup and we're going to jump right into it. Starting off with a brand new announcement from AMD because their Advancing AI event was held last week and boy, it was a bit. Uh, this is the official launch of the MI300 data center GPU and AMD wowed the world with a product that beats NVIDIA's H100 thanks to architecture improvements and a generous amount of expensive HBM memory. But it was the promise that AMD would take a big chunk of the $400 billion market for accelerators that made the most news. Steven, are we looking at a revolution? Uh, you say you want a revolution? I wouldn't mind a revolution. So, so this is actually a really exciting story because essentially what we've got here is AMD firmly, confidently jumping right in there as the uh, alternate source for accelerator uh, processors next to NVIDIA. So far, NVIDIA has been not only eating everyone's lunch, but eating everyone's um, appetizers and dessert as well. AMD basically came to the party and said, you know what? We can play that game. And the MI300 is really, really good. It's a really good product. Um, as you mentioned, uh, the secret is that over the years, many people, including NVIDIA, have learned that memory capacity and memory bandwidth are what makes or breaks the performance of a lot of these high-performance computing nodes. That's why Intel has their Xeon Max. That's why NVIDIA is putting more and more emphasis on large uh, bandwidth, more capacity. And that's why AMD really doubled down here with the MI300. Um, in fact, um, some pundits have been suggesting that maybe it's the memory that's the secret more than anything else, but that's not really true. I mean, truly, AMD put together a compelling accelerator for in, um, ML uh, inferencing, especially, and uh, put it together in a package that really, really works. They can produce this thing in volume. They've got good software support, not quite up to the level of NVIDIA, but boy, are they leaning into that as well. They've got incredible partners here. They're collaborating with OpenAI, with Microsoft, Oracle, Meta. They're really looking really great in this market. And they put together a product that is basically cheaper and better, asterisk, than what NVIDIA has as a competing product. Now, it's important to know that some of this exuberance is irrational because NVIDIA isn't out there just with the H100. They've got the H200 now, and nobody is saying that the MI300 is better than the H200. It's competitive, 
Sure, but um, you know, Nvidia is already right there with a with a nice uh, nice next generation product. Also, of course, uh, AMD has to produce and sell these things, and they have to have so software support for them, which is you know another thing that 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 the market needs. Um, but the third thing is that um, if you look a little bit deeper, and I'm going to shout out to uh, Dylan Patel uh, here, who did some great analysis here over at Semi Analysis, um, you'll see that. Uh, AMD is still only achieving about 30% of the theoretical uh, performance of this uh, this thing in training. Now that's not a surprise. I think I should um, make make it very clear that most processors are only achieving a you know 50% or whatever of their theoretical performance in actual real world use cases because hey, real world gets in the way. AMD has a lot of work here to do to make this a um, a world class training processor. They're going to do that work, sure, but um, you know we're still not quite there in terms of the MI300 in the training game. In inferencing, absolutely, this thing is killer. We're talking 30% um, more uh, than H100 in terms of performance um, and, and probably uh, less cost as well. So great, great product in there. So a AMD still has a lot of work to do. But the real news here was AMD talking about the market for these accelerators. AMD has said that the uh, accelerator market is going to be a $400 billion market. That leaves room for everyone. Suddenly, we're not sitting at a little table in a cafeteria here. We're sitting at a big, beautiful table. Everybody's got room at this table. AMD is absolutely going to kill it with this product. They're going to sell these things like crazy. NVIDIA is going to sell like crazy. Heck, Intel. You know, Broadcom, Marvell, there's room for everybody at this table. And if this market is anywhere near $400 billion, that means that the market for switches, for storage, for software, for supporting services is in the tens of billions of dollars or more as well. So we're looking at a huge market. After every big acquisition, there's some shakeups. The first of these in the Broadcom VMware saga has come in the form of a divestiture of end-user computing and security arms of uh, VMware. According to CEO Hock Tan, Broadcom will be refocusing VMware on the core business of private and hybrid clouds and divesting uh, non-core assets. Carbon Black has already been listed as an independent business unit inside of Broadcom as of November 27th and will be divested soon. The hope of Broadcom is that interested buyers will be willing to pick up these assets quickly and help recoup some of the costs of this acquisition. Tom, is this a good move for Broadcom in the security space? I think it actually is a great move and not just because we're seeing Broadcom kind of divesting some of these assets. I think it's a good move for customers and here's the reason why. How many times have you ever seen a company get bought by a larger company and then you don't know what's about to happen with them? There's a rudderless ship there. Uh, I quote the famous Everclear song, you always try to be everything to everyone. Not here. Hocktan just came out and said, guess what? We're going to build private and hybrid clouds. It reminds me of a great quote from my friend Doug Gourlay years ago. We only do one thing and we sell this. And that's basically what Hocktan is saying. So congratulations to Hocktan for saying this. What does it mean though? I think ultimately what it means, especially in the security space, is that Carbon Black is probably gonna be divested back into its own independent company, at least for the time being. There were a lot of questions back in, was it 2019, when uh, Carbon Black got acquired, and a lot of people were still trying to figure out exactly where VMware's play was. 
Yeah, I mean, we all kind of know with hindsight that it was related to, let's just try to get as many people to buy our software as possible through as many avenues as we could. Broadcom doesn't care about that. They care more about selling that core asset, making people buy what VMware offers, not all of the other attachments that cause people to want to pick it up. So I think Carbon Black is going to be great on its own, kind of doing security stuff because there's plenty of money in the security space to keep them going for a very long time. Maybe somewhere down the road, a bigger company might want to pick them back up, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. As far as the end user computing space, again, we want people to use end user computing software because it sells more VMware licenses and Broadcom's like, yeah, we, we don't care. We're focused on clouds. Uh, I was talking to a couple of analysts and it kind of makes sense for some other big companies to pick up the end user computing group, maybe someone like a Citrix, but time will have to tell on that one. I think we're going to see Carbon Black get spun off really quickly and they're going to continue to succeed. And I think the end user computing one is probably going to take a little bit longer to find a buyer because it's a big enough segment of VMware's business that they're not going to be able to just kind of offload it as quickly as they might like. So we're going to have to keep an eye on that. So, you know, look forward to that great story coming in the rundown in 2024. Until then, Good luck to all of the people there. I've already seen some people changing their LinkedIn profile titles, you know, to Carbon Black or to whatever. And uh, that's usually the first sign that you get that there's some stuff going on inside the company and, and things like that. All right, Stephen, we saw a disclosure that Broadcom has acquired Elastics.Cloud, which is a CXL startup focused on composable infrastructure. The news came from co-founder George Apostol and was apparently done back in September and a team had been working on transitioning the main, to the manufacturer to more closely integrate with Broadcom's vision. Even now, if you look on the Elastics.Cloud website, there's really no mention of the acquisition by Broadcom. Stephen, what is it about this company that has Broadcom so interested in composable infrastructure? So Tom, I think first off, uh, Broadcom is in the news, of course, for their acquisition of uh, VMware. And uh, it's important to note that Broadcom is a big company. This doesn't have anything to do with VMware. Um, Broadcom has long been in this market for uh, building uh, PCI Express components along with all sorts of other components that you find inside servers and infrastructure. And this really goes to the heart of that part of the company. So uh, back in 2014, Broadcom acquired a company called PLX Technology, which was a leader in PCI Express. Um, and this really it dovetails uh, quite nicely in there. According to this uh, LinkedIn post, um, Broadcom will likely uh, be putting Elastics Cloud together with PLX to basically bring their technology forward into the CXL space. So we actually know a bit about Elastics Cloud. We talked to them um, on uh, the utilizing uh, CXL, which was uh, season four of utilizing tech back. Uh, if you look at the no episode from November 14th, 2022, we have a detailed conversation with George Apstall from Broadcom, uh, I'm sorry, from uh, um, Elastics Cloud, uh, talking about what their product does. Uh, George and I met at the CXL Forum in New York uh, the previous year, and um, I was really impressed by what they're putting together. Essentially, this is the epitome of that kind of scrappy startup that's putting together uh, essential new technology. Uh, specifically, Elastics Cloud has capability to um, share memory across multiple CXL servers. This is incredible stuff, this is cutting edge stuff, and this is really the future of infrastructure. So you mentioned that magic word, composability. That's what this is all about. 
essentially Broadcom is going to be using the technology that they already have, as well as the technology from Elastic's cloud to base to build uh, both initiators and targets that would allow uh, servers to connect uh, using PCI Express lanes to memory, uh, pooled memory that could then be shared among multiple servers, um, even dynamically shared, even um, shared at the same time. So maybe they could really do some really cool stuff there in terms of building out big clusters of composable servers. That's exactly what Elastic Cloud was working on. And that's why I'm excited about this. Frankly, this is uh, where the industry is headed. Um, and it's going to be exciting to see what happens there. Um, we should also mention uh, in a sad note that uh, George Apostol noted that uh, co-founder and CTO of Elastics Cloud, uh, Shreyas Shah, uh, who uh, we may have encountered in previous times at uh, companies like Xilinx and Intel, uh, he passed away um, unexpectedly on October 11th. So um, certainly that uh, casts a shadow of this, uh, though this acquisition happened before that. Um, it's sad to hear about that. Just when you thought it was safe to boot your machine again, here comes another set of vulnerabilities. Researchers this week announced LogoFail, a cleverly named set of exploits uh, for the UEFI uh, boot ROM in most modern systems that replaced BIOS a few years ago. The summary of the exploit is that by manipulating the splash images on the motherboard uh, in specific ways, you can take control of a system or execute arbitrary code. Because this exploit exists pre-boot, uh, it has complete access to the entire system and the contents of memory, and this can um, undermine basically any other security measures. Tom, how bad is this news? It's bad if you are the kind of person who doesn't understand that physical access to your systems is a huge deal. Kind of like the uh, Greek tragedy of Narcissus, this is a perfect way to use someone's vanity against them. You guys may remember BIOS. If you're old enough, you remember the, the power on self-test where it had to count up all the memory and all that other stuff? Well, it's mostly been replaced by UEFI, which effectively puts a big splash screen in front of that. In fact, if you're running a modern system, I challenge you to find where it's actually doing the power on self-test because it's all hidden behind uh, a lot of other things. In fact, when you get into the configuration dialog, it's this beautiful GUI with mouse support and everything like that. That only works because of UEFI. Well, some researchers have found out that there's ways to get around that. Using things like steganography, where I can hide things in images and I can carefully craft this. Why would I possibly want to do that? Hmm, well, let's see here. Right now, if you're using Gigabyte or MSI or any of those companies, you get that splash screen. But let's say that I appeal to the vanity of a CEO of a large financial firm, and I'm like, you know, I could put that splash screen on your computers to be your company logo. And he's going to look at it and go, hmm, I like that idea because I like seeing my company logo everywhere. Yes, I think you should. Only I'm not the, uh, you know, innocent person that I portray myself to be, and I'm going to hide some code in there so that I can start doing things like inserting rootkits in places that can't be removed because what's the solution to this problem? I'll just reboot your machine. Huh. It's when you reboot your machine that it comes back. And that's why this is so devilish. Um, obviously, the, the quick and easy answer is don't mess with the UEFI boot ROM on your system. Only install authorized updates. Don't do anything untoward or worse yet. Um, ego boosting, uh, stick with what you know and what's trusted. The, to that being said though, you also want to make sure you lock down your system so that nobody can walk in with a USB key and cause all kinds of havoc because all it takes is a simple plug in the key, reboot the system, hit delete or F1 or F2 or whatever hits you to that system and do a BIOS update or upload a new firmware image, uh, not a firmware image, just an image image 
to the UEFI and then you're in trouble. And just so you know, for all of you fans out there who are like, oh, this won't affect my system because I'm running Debian. Yeah, it works on Linux too because this hits before the operating system even boots. So if your system uses UEFI, which, um, spoiler alert, that's all of them, you could be infected by this. So keep an eye out for patches or firmware updates from your favorite motherboard manufacturer that patch the holes or prevent arbitrary code execution from these systems and get your stuff updated as soon as you can. Because as we found out, like even this week, the, remember the log for shell incident that happened like two or three years ago? Do you know that one in four systems on the internet is still vulnerable to that after all these years? Fix your stuff. To quote my good friend Bob Plankers, patch, 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 patch. We had a story we wanted to take a closer look at, and it's one of the bigger news stories that we've seen this week because change is in the air, and it is, of course, licensed. The news came out of VMware by Broadcom as they announced a simplification of their licensing model. The first change is that VMware Cloud Foundation has had the subscription cost cut in half and additional support levels have been added to help with the activation and lifecycle management process. VMware vSphere Foundation is also available as a subscription offering with several add-ons that have become available. Notably missing is the option for perpetual licensing, which was removed in this simplification. Also removed were any hybrid purchase programs and anything not subscription-based. If you're a customer that already has a perpetual license, you can continue to use it, but you will be unavailable to buy support for that license until you transition to that subscription model. There's been a lot of discussion going on about this into the community, and a lot of people are wondering what this means for VMware customers. Steven, let's take a closer look at this. Absolutely. Uh, this has been one of the subjects that the uh, Tech Field Day delegates have been discussing uh, in private. Um, one of the things that people don't really get a view of because, hey, it's private, is uh, the fact that all of the uh, Tech Field Day delegate community has these wonderful discussions about what's really impacting the world of IT practitioners, IT technologists, basically where the rubber meets the road. And um, those voices aren't often heard. So what I wanted to do was actually um, bring in uh, a voice of that world, a voice of the practitioner. So why don't we call Keith Townsend from uh, CTO Advisor and Futurum Group in here? Okay. Yeah, scoot over a little bit. Let me uh, there you go. join the conversation. Welcome to the party, Keith. Thanks um, for having me. So what do you think about this uh, dis decision by uh, VMware to simplify licensing? So the licensing was complicated. Uh, I worked for VMware for a short time and I was warned when I came aboard, there's hundreds of SKUs. That has now been simplified, which will uh, increase the time to, uh, decrease the time to quote and you know increase this time to value that customers are looking for. So simplifying the SKUs, I, I'm, all, I'm all on board for it. Keith, was the perpetual license an option that a lot of people are, are making hay about. Was that something that was really popular with customers? That, that is something that was really popular. Actually, in an adjacent uh, software decision, Citrix decided to abandon perpetual licenses when they went private. And I talked to many of CTO that was extremely upset about that because they had just renewed their perpetual licensing. And Citrix only told them that they couldn't uh, renew perpetual licensing, but was much more aggressive and said that basically year, if you're on a year-by-year -year, uh, support perspective, you uh, so support agreement, you cannot renew support. So customers are very, very sticky if you look at 
folks like Nutanix has had a tough time transi transitioning to subscription licensing. VMware has wanted to do it for years, but customers have been extremely re resistant to it. It's interesting um, you bring up this topic of perpetual licensing because that's what software used to be. I mean, mm -hmm. enterprise software used to mainly be per perpetual, but now all companies want subscription licensing um, for a couple of reasons. Well, all vendors want subscription licensing for a couple of reasons because, um, you know, basically it guarantees a revenue stream, which looks really good. And because it looks really good, it tends to bump up their stock price because, you know, they have all this recurring revenue coming in. Uh, also, it means that they can kind of renegotiate those contracts, add new features, new licensing levels, and all sorts of things every year without having to resell things from scratch. Customers love perpetual licenses for the exact opposite reason, because it gives them that sense of confidence. And of course, this affects us in the um, the, the the real world as well. Um, you know, one of my favorite uh, applications on iOS uh, just switched from a uh, uh, perpetual to a uh, subscription-based scheme, and uh, everybody's all up in arms about that. Um, I can understand why people love perpetual licenses. However, I wonder too if in some cases it may make sense to switch from a perpetual license financial sense because truly was the perpetual license a better deal? Now, I understand, right, that um, VMware may not have uh, announced all the pricing for these things, but I think there's an expectation that they're going to be pretty aggressive in pricing this stuff, right? Yeah, I think the announcement was that the, the VMware Cloud Foundation, so two layers, these, basically these spirit essentials, if you're a small shop and you don't need HCX, NSX, VC, VCF, and all of the ARIA operation stuff, then you have that low-level opportunity and then that whole package is a vcf if you take the whole package i think that's a, a more, better than a 50 percent price reduction the question is do you need it all mm -hmm. and i think a lot of customers may find that they don't need it all and maybe they might even save money in this situation um why do you think vmware and under broadcom would be uh, lowering prices i think that's counter to what a lot of people expected so you know if you think about it you you talked about this perpetual license advantage vSphere has historically been a very sticky platform form when it comes to versioning and updating updates customers simply don't update their vSphere environments so if you're finding yourself on vSphere 6 dot five, which I think has been in a life for a couple of years, and there's a lot of vSphere 6.5 out there. Why in the world would you buy a subscription if you're just not updating your software and you're already out of support and you've been more or less fine? VMware needs both a carrot and a stick to say, hey, you can be in support. You will get features that you should care about and you should upgrade, update security and protection against malware, you know, pretty good uh, argument for updating your software, this gets uh, customers kind of activated, those customers who have bought perpetual licenses but not have bought support, gives them kind of an incentive to do uh, uh, some consistent upgrading and get support. So Keith, I guess the question is, because we've seen this with a lot of other subscription-based programs, Microsoft Office being one of the main examples of this, They've gone away from versioning. You're mm -hmm. not running Office 2023, you're just running Office, and it's constantly getting these trickle-down updates. Um, I challenge you to go find a Google Chrome version number. They don't really exist anymore. Do you see a future where, because Broadcom has effectively said, in order to be current with your VMware subscription, you have to be on a subscription model, 
we're not even going to track this anymore. So you're not running VMware 6.5. You're not running VMware 7. You're just running VMware. And yeah. you're going to get, you're not going to have this big cutover every two or three years when a new piece of software is released with this huge uh, CapEx expenditure to get all your stuff up to date. You're just going to get these new features that you can activate and install every couple of months. Yeah, they have to, they need the mechanism for that, right? Because right now, VMware is a fat install and it's not a streaming service. But we see evidence of this, not just within other enterprise software companies. SAP made the controversial announcement that they're not going to innovate on the perpetual and on-prem license version anymore. And then we see it in VMware and VMC on AWS. There is no version of VMC on AWS. You just get VMC on AWS. VMware has been long positioned to go this route. So we will see, I think, uh, this this loosening or disappearance of versions for versioning. You're just on VMware Cloud Foundation or you're on vSphere Essentials and you get the features associated with those entitlements. I think another interesting angle here is, um, as we saw, uh, VMware went to a lot of their customers before the acquisition mm -hmm. and said, hey, you know there's an acquisition coming here. Maybe you should sign up now. Um, I wonder if a lot of companies did that. I mean, there, if a lot of companies went and got a perpetual license uh, right before the acquisition and what this means overall to companies that are in the midst of an acquisition and their companies are saying, you know, they, they go to their clients and say, hey, uh, maybe you should buy now instead of buying later. Yeah, the I don't know if it's an unofficial number or official number, but I heard the number around 50% of VMware's largest companies, co uh, customers renewed early for that very reason, which kind of puts on the next level challenge. I've managed environments where we went from a uh, perpetual license to a subscription model, and it is a painful change. It is a difficult conversation to have with the CFO who you go into her, his or her office and says, we're gonna pay for this software twice this year. Well, we're going to, you know, we, we're finishing out the CapEx uh, of the software original perpetual license, and we're going to double the cost and start buying its subscription base. So to help ease that, VMware has dropped the price to help that transition, but it's a still very difficult transition. So those folks that bought the perpetual licenses and support for perpetual licenses now will have that difficult conversation as they amortize that purchase over uh, or depreciate that purchase over the next three to five years, justifying moving. And I'm pretty sure there's a conversation that be had with Broadcom on some uh, trade-in, buyback, et cetera. Well, I want to thank you both for this fascinating conversation. Uh, this is one of the things that we do a lot here on The Rundown as we kind of look at the long-term implications of what these things can be. Because as we know, there's always going to be news and there's always going to be things going on. And that's why we're always going to be bringing you The Rundown each and every week. Um, I wanted to take a look at the weeks ahead because we do have a lot of cool things coming up in 2024, starting off with something, Stephen, you're really excited about. Absolutely. Um, we are back with Cloud Field Day. Now, as many of you know, Cloud Field Day is the, one of the signature events for the Tech Field Day community. Um, we have such an incredible group of delegates. In fact, we have so many delegates that want to get in, it's really hard to pick. Uh, we've got a great group of companies coming to present as well. That's going to be January 31st and February 1st um, in uh, California for the delegates and on LinkedIn and, and live streaming for everyone else. 
And then the next week, I'm going to be in Amsterdam with our friends from Cisco because we're going to be coming to you with Cisco Live EMEA with a wonderful group of European delegates talking to Cisco and some other companies about some exciting advancements that they've been making. There's going to be some new faces in the crowd, both presenting and listening from the delegate panel. And if you're someone who follows us in Europe, we're going to be live in your time zone for the first time in for at least a year. We're going to be bringing you live streaming video. And if you're like one of those people who enjoys sleeping in and not watching us at 2 a.m., shame on you. But we'll have on-demand video on LinkedIn as well as on our YouTube channel as soon as possible. And then uh, Keith and I are actually partnering on AI Field Day. So the Futurum Group and uh, Tech Field Day are hosting AI Field Day um, the week of February 21st and 22nd. Again, we're going to be back in uh, California for that one live with an amazing panel of delegates. And uh, you'll be able to catch that live online. And there's going to be some extra added uh, Futurum goodness there for AI Field Day. And if you like networking as much as I do, well, you probably need to have your head examined. And if you want to do that, head on over to Networking Field Day 34 because February 28th and 29th, we're going to be hearing from a great group of networking-focused presenters as well as having a great group of networking delegates around the table. We've already got a bunch of them listed on our website, some names that you're probably familiar with. There's probably going to be a couple of new faces in that crowd that you're going to want to learn about. And we're going to have some great presentations from some companies who are doing really advanced things. I bet you will hear about AI. I bet you will hear about analytics and more. You're going to want to tune in for that. So make sure you check out the website. We'll be putting calendar invitations up as soon as the presentation times are confirmed so you can lock those in and you won't want to miss a minute. In fact, tell your boss you're so busy that you can't do any extra work because you're not going to want to miss that. Just like you tell your boss that you can't miss the weekly episode of The Rundown. Every Wednesday around 1230 Eastern Time, we bring you the latest and greatest in news and we love doing that. In fact, to that commenter who commented on a five-year-old video that told you that I should work for Bloomberg, thank you, buddy. I really appreciate that. But I'm happy here at Gestalt IT and Tech Field Day because this is where I get to be my wonderful snarky self, along with my co-host, Stephen Foskett, along with Keith Townsend, our special co-host for today, and all of the other wonderful co-hosts that we've had through 2023. Stay tuned next week because we'll be bringing you a special year-end recap where we look at some of the biggest stories of 2023. And oh boy, it was a big year for tech news. But we will have all of the cool stuff that you're going to want to reminisce about. So grab your favorite holiday drink, start a Yule Log fire, but make sure you have a fireplace first. And tune in because you won't want to miss that. For Stephen Foskett, Keith Townsend, myself, all of our wonderful friends here at Gestalt IT, thank you very much for tuning in. Stay warm, folks. Enjoy some hot cocoa. Send a birthday wish to Taylor Swift, and we'll see you next week. Hey, Tom, is there any truth that uh, Taylor Swift is co-hosting the end-of-the-year episode? I can neither confirm nor deny. Maybe it's Travis Kelsey. Tune in and find out. Worth tuning in. <laughs>